The parish likes to, to look at kind of the bigger picture. A priest is an altar priest. They just go, go, go. In the zeal full of Jesus Christ. There is compassion for poor people. And it has this beautiful historic church. Heaven coming down to earth. Thanks be to God. From the Rome of the West, this is the Catholic Gateway Podcast. Your audio gateway into the Archdiocese of St. Louis. On each episode of the Catholic Gateway Podcast, we'll tell the stories about the interesting people, places, and events that make up the Archdiocese of St. Louis. We'll also give an update on Catholic news, courtesy of the reporters from the St. Louis Review and Catholic St. Louis Magazine, the official publications of the Archdiocese of St. Louis. So with trust in the Holy Spirit, let's begin. Numbers. In the Catholic Church, we have a lot of numbers. Think about it. We believe in one God, one holy Catholic and apostolic church, the Son of God who has two natures, three persons of the Trinity, we have four Gospels, Christ had five wounds, there were six days of creation, Christ gave us seven sacraments and the eight Beatitudes, there are nine choirs of angels, and of course, ten commandments. I could go on and on and on. But while there are a lot of numbers in the church, we're not so good when it comes to statistics and data. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Welcome to another episode of the Catholic Gateway Podcast. My name is Gabe Jones. Today I have a special guest with me. We simply refer to him as the numbers guy, but his official title is Director of Pastoral Planning for the Archdiocese of St. Louis. John Schwab, welcome to the podcast. Gabe, thanks very much. And I am the numbers guy. You are the numbers guy. That's, that's the easy way we just here in the Office of Communications and Planning refer to you. So, um, John, for uh, maybe listeners of the podcast who may not know, uh, give us a little bit about kind of what you do. You know, Director of Pastoral Planning sounds fancy. What is it that you do here in the office? Well, probably the best way to characterize it is I do, I help parishes do planning. I help schools do planning. A lot of it involves going out to the parish or going out to the school and explaining what the numbers are, what the trends are. Are people moving into their area, people moving out? Are the demographics changing? So I do demographic analysis of the St. Louis Archdiocesan region. I study trends, and, uh, and really that's a lot of numbers. So for the people like me who maybe took that statistics class in college and were just like, ready for it to be done, you are the one who is eating it all up and really enjoying it, right? <laughs> well, what's really dangerous is that in the early part of my uh, career, I actually taught statistics at the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Okay, well, we're not going to get into the statistics class today and confuse people and talk about mean, median, and mode. That's, that's, <laughs> that's another subject for another day. Um, but, you know, for you, when it gets to be this time of year, it's October, the leaves are changing, the weather's getting colder, pumpkin spice is everywhere, and for you that, that means it's ma- mass count season, time to count people going to mass every Sunday. So um, what, uh, can you talk about that a little bit? Like, um, actually, I guess before we get into the, the, the mass counts, I want to know, um, and for the people listening, how do we compare, just in terms of population to other dioceses around the country, kind of what's the big picture view here? Well, for most of you listeners out there who maybe have been around for a while, you realize that our churches used to be a little more full than they are. And 
And actually, if you look at national trends, mass attendance has been declining. Uh, we've been doing mass counts in our diocese for the last five years. And last year, about 30% of Catholics were in, um, in mass at any given Sunday. And we do our mass counts in October. And October is considered to be kind of a normal month. You know, there's no vacations, there's no holidays. Uh, I used to try to avoid doing a Sunday in which the Rams were playing, but we don't have that problem anymore. Right. <laughs> and we won't have any problem with the Cardinals this year either, right. unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately. That's very unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but actually, last year, like I said, 30% in our diocese attended mass on any given Sunday. And that's almost exactly the national average. Okay. How many Catholics... Uh, just the overall population, how many Catholics do we have in the Archdiocese? We have about 515,000 Catholics. So okay. that means if you multiply that by 30%, and I'm supposed to do this in my head, that's probably 160,000 uh, Catholics are in church on any given Sunday. Okay. And so um, that 515,000, in terms of uh, the population of the, the Archdiocesan area, the, the 11 counties that make up the Archdiocese, that's what, about 23%? Right, about 23%. Which is... A little above the national average, right? Uh, it's, it's right about the national average. We're actually a pretty average place here in St. Louis. Okay, well, we're not going not gonna to make that a, a big selling point for us. But um, So uh, you mentioned the mass counts, um, and, and how we've been doing this for five years now. Um, why? What are the mass counts? I mean, it's not, uh, you said it earlier, I guess, counting people go to mass. You know, it's not, not counting the number of masses offered, which is maybe the name might imply. But why, are the, why is it so important to, to do these mass counts? Well, actually, you know, we actually started doing this five years ago. And you may remember in the uh, Advent season of 2011, we started the Catholics Come Home advertising campaign. You may remember some of the commercials. They were very moving. They talked about the history of the church, and they talked about the impact that the church has had over 2,000 years in, in our society and our culture. And as a result of that, uh, we decided we were going to try to measure whether or not those kinds of commercials would have an impact. So for the first time in October of 2011, we did a diocesan-wide mass count. We did it again in January after we did the, uh, the advertising campaign. And we found that there was about an 8% increase in mass attendance as a result of that campaign. And that was actually pretty amazing, but Actually, in most places around the country where they've done the Catholics Come Home advertising, there has been a bump up in mass attendance. And, of course, we stopped. We just did a, a one-time effort there in the uh, Advent season of 2011. And mass attendance the next year when we counted kind of reverted back to where it was before. And it's so you wanted to come back the next year, do the count again. Right. See, and, yeah. and, and so we've been doing it ever since just to see what's going on, because that's a very important part of, of, of our faith. I mean, obviously, the Mass is the most important part of our, of our faith. Yeah. And uh, people need to be worshiping. And we need to measure whether or not uh, the kinds of evangelization uh, efforts that are going on in the diocese, whether they're having an impact. So we measure it from, from year to year. You know, probably another reason why we do this is uh, parishes want to know individually whether they're effective in, in the kinds of, uh, of, of efforts that they're doing to try to get people back to Mass and get back to church. Uh, also, they're very interested in such things as uh, if we 
have five masses in our parish uh, and we cut it back to four, is that going to have an impact on mass attendance? So that's another reason why we we do these counts. Yeah, that's very important. Well, as I alluded to earlier in the the intro, you know, the church, we have a lot of numbers, but it's that that data and being able to use that data for purposes of evangelization and promoting the faith. We're not always so good at at doing that. So it's really great that we are doing these mass counts every year now, um, even though we just started five years ago. You know, Um, let me interrupt and, and say that, I want to be clear when I say that 30% of people are at Mass on any given Sunday. That doesn't mean that 30% of our Catholic population attend Mass every week. Actually, only about 20 to 22% attend Mass every single week. And the, the, what's, the, what's the reason for that discrepancy? Well, the, the rest of them are people who attend maybe every other week or once a month, once a quarter, once a year. So when you add all of that up, you know, when you have 30% on any given Sunday... Yes, most of those people worship every week, but some of them are there just occasionally. Yeah. Well, and earlier you said, you know, the reason why you chose October is because it's not a, it's kind of an average time of year. But yeah. um, can you talk about the uh, the thought process a little bit into that, you know, why why you chose this time of year? You know, what what else went into that? Well, actually, thinking? I didn't choose it at all. That's kind of okay. that's kind of what the um, uh, the CARA, which is the uh, Georgetown University Research Organization. They suggest that when dioceses do mass counts, they do it in October. They, they've found over time that that's probably the most normal time of the year to measure mass attendance. Interesting. I guess that's just something I haven't really thought of before. What's the most well, normal time of year? Well, I October. never thought about you know, it like either until, <laughs> until I started doing this five years ago. Right. So um, I guess one of the next questions then is, so people are coming to mass and you're going to count them. What are some of the different ways to count because you wouldn't you think okay well you're just going to count the people in the church but you were telling me yesterday when we were talking about this there's a bunch of different ways that it can be done in any given parish well when we first started this five years ago i sent um letters in fact the archbishop sent a letter out to all the pastors asking them to do this and to contact me if they had any questions well i got a lot of questions like how do we do this and really there are many different ways in fact uh for, for the listeners out there, when you're at church uh, anytime over the next three weeks, you'll probably see one of the techniques being used. Uh, a lot of parishes will just have uh, one or more people standing at the entrances of the church with a little clicker that just counts people, and they just click it as people enter. Uh, there are some parishes that have somebody standing in the choir loft, and you know around the offertory time, they'll just count the people. Another uh, there are some parishes that uh, have somebody walking along with the usher that is taking the offertory collection and counting people as they go through. Another parish actually has a form that's in the pew at the end, and they have, at right after the homily, they have the person who's sitting on the aisle count the number of people that are in their pew and write it down, and then that's collected afterwards. So there's lots of different ways yeah. of doing this. So that's probably the best way, because you get other people, you get the people involved, and then, then the one person, two people, whatever, counting, they don't have to do all the work. Right, it's just yeah, exactly. <laughs> people in the pews, make them do the work. So um, I guess, you know, we can get all this num- you know, all the numbers, all the data, uh, and and have it and store it, but if you don't use it for something, it's not really... There's no purpose to it. So what are we using this data for? Uh, you sort of mentioned earlier, you know, to, to direct ministries in particular ways. Um, but is it is it being used, um, you know, more broadly? I mean, what, what sort of uses do, do people find in this? 
Well, there's lots of different uh, ways. For, for one thing, we want to know whether it's going up or going down. And actually, over the last five years, it's been going down a little bit, maybe a half a percent a year or actually a little bit less than that. So five years ago, it was 32 percent. and Last year, it was 30 percent. So it's gone down 2 percent in five years. Uh, parishes um, may use it if they're looking. There, there are several parishes that are considering expansion of their church or looking at uh, possible uh, collaboration with a neighboring parish. Uh, they want to see whether or not their church has the capacity to handle the people. So we use the historical mass counts to give some kind of an indication as to how many people are at church on a given Sunday. Uh, they were used a couple years ago when we built a church out in, uh, um, I think, out in Imperial. We built a new church, and we wanted to do mass counts before then to find out how, how big to make the church. So that's the kind of thing you would use it for. Yeah. So it's interesting you mentioned it's only gone down about half a percent a year over the past few years that we've done this. But you hear other numbers, other stats thrown around um, from CARA, from other places, Pew Research Center, that say, you know, the rise of nuns, you know, the, the, the not N-U-N-S, but N-O-N-E-S, uh, people not affiliated with the religion, has been on the rise. And I think the last um, survey I saw said like 16% of the general population was considered none, uh, didn't have a religious affiliation. So despite that, despite all the other things, um, you talk about marriage is going down. You just shared some data with us um, a couple weeks ago in one of our meetings about decline in marriages in the archdiocese. Despite all that, mass attendance has been relatively stable, really. Well, it's been stable, but if you consider that 50 years ago, it was probably 60%. So it's been going down steadily over the years. And the fact of the matter is, is that, uh, you know, young people are, are, the, are the demographic that we're having a difficult time reaching. All churches are having a difficult time. I mean, you talk about 15% of the population being nuns. Actually, the study goes farther than that and says of millennials, that percentage is more like 35%. That's a stunning percentage. 35% of millennials don't claim any religious affiliation. And so, you know, over time, we may see these numbers continue to drift downward. But, uh, you know, if only 30% are attending Mass, and yet when you consider how many are actually registered in any given parish, I mean, the potential for people coming back to regular uh, Mass attendance, regular participation in the faith is tremendous. So even though we have people leaving the church or leaving um, regular participation um, in the faith, we have people coming back at the same time. And so that, that's probably why the number doesn't go down as drastically as you might think. Right, right. Well, you mentioned earlier uh, the fact that I think um, uh, mass attendance or, or one of the numbers um, had gone up about 8%. Uh, I don't remember what you were talking well, about. That, that was the, after we did oh, the, after Catholic, the Catholics, Catholics Come, come Home, home yes. campaign. Yes. Um, and so I thought immediately to Matthew Kelly, who always talks about 7% of Catholics are dynamic Catholics. And if we could just increase that by 1%, you know, what could we accomplish? And um, obviously little different things than what he's talking about. But, you know, imagine if we went from 31% of Catholics, or 30% of Catholics attending Mass on Sunday to 31, 32, 35%, what we could do, what we could accomplish, the faith, uh, you know, of the people that would be, that would grow and uh, the amazing things that we could do. Um, it really is kind of amazing if you think of the, about the potential. So 
um, I want to say, you know, it sounds all doom and gloom, right? But is it? And what can we do about this? Well, I think I've been encouraged. And I don't know whether your listeners have read the book Rebuilt, but, you know, the concept of Rebuilt was that it's all about Sunday and that the whole focus of a parish needs to be on our Sunday worship experience. And so getting people back to the church has a lot to do with having quality liturgies. And that doesn't mean rock and roll music at all the masses, but it does mean well-thought-out sermons, a welcoming congregation, people that's who... A, that's a big one. That's a big one, welcoming. And I don't mean, you know, somebody standing at the front door of the church and kind of giving you a... Uh, kind of a lethargic hello, yeah. but I'm talking about... But even that know, would be better. But be, than, better than nothing. Than nothing. Yeah. You know, the Archbishop has, has said many times that, uh, you know, there are many people who, the first five minutes they walk into a church, they'll decide whether or not they'll come back based upon whether or not the people are warm or not. Wow. So, wow. Uh, so it, it's a matter of, of, of quality liturgies, quality music, uh, good homilies, um, a worshipful community mm-hmm. and welcoming. Welcoming is so critical. Well, and that's how you really kind of grab somebody so that you can show them the love of Jesus Christ is that you have to get them in the door first. You have to get them and get them to stay and get them interested. And then they'll, the exactly rest will come. Exactly right, yes. And, and actually, like on the last episode of the podcast, just uh, from last week, we had Father Joe Krupp, uh, who was here for our communications colloquium, kind of saying a similar thing, you know, about communications. You have to really get to the basics and show people that Christ loves them before you get into all the, the, the deep the theological and doctrinal discussions. You have to really emphasize the fact that this is important. And like you said, Sunday's important. So um, for all those people out there who are uh, listening to this, you need to go to Mass the next couple of weeks, right, so you can be counted. <laughs> well, I, I don't want you to come just so the numbers go up. <laughs> I just want you to go because it's the Mass. It's, it's for your soul. It's, it's for, for your soul, soul right? absolutely. Well, the Archdiocese of St. Louis, helping you get to heaven, that's our tagline. So that's what we're here to do, and uh, going to Mass is a big, important step uh, in doing that. So, John, I think this was a good uh, informational um, you know, 15-minute segment here. Uh, obviously, we, there's so much more we could talk about, but uh, we don't want to overwhelm people listening. And, and uh, if, if anybody is interested, though, in more learning more or maybe how they can uh, get some stat- statistics or data for their parish, can they contact you? Absolutely. Probably the simplest way is pastoral planning. One word, well, it's two words, but all connected at archstl.org. Okay, pastoral planning at archstl.org. Perfect. So, uh, John, thank you for coming on the Catholic Gateway Podcast today. I have a funny feeling I might be back. <laughs> you might be. <laughs> All right, thank All right, you. Thanks, Gabe. So to continue on this episode of the Catholic Gateway Podcast with the numbers theme, here's a number to consider, kind of a, a very somber uh, number, almost 59 million Abortions in this country in the past 42, 43 years uh, since Roe v. Wade. Uh, October not only is Mass Count Month here in the Archdiocese, but is Respect Life Month around the country. And so to talk a little bit about this, I have uh, with me as a guest, Jennifer Brinker, reporter with the St. Louis Review. Jennifer, thank you for coming on. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Uh, you have done, uh, well, you did a story recently uh, in this week's edition of the St. Louis Review about a uh, former abortion doctor who was here in St. Louis. So um, mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about this story. It's, it's very compelling. 
Yeah, actually, it really was. Um, Dr. Vanson Wong, he's a OBGYN from the Sacramento area and um, SLU's Students for Life and Med Students for Life uh, hosted him for a talk um, about a week ago. And he actually has a very compelling story of, um, he's been in practice for uh, about 30 years and for a period of like seven years in the 90s, he performed abortions on, he said there were hundreds that he had done in that time. And he had a very slow conversion process um, in which he realized God was telling him that what he was doing was wrong. And he actually started, you know, doing this practice. Um, he explained that he wanted to be a compassionate um, help a voice um, for women who were seeking abortion um, and to really kind of su support that woman's right to an abortion. Um, but what he found was over time as he was doing these abortions, he was becoming less and less compassionate of a person, I think because of what he realized, what he was doing. So. Wow. Yeah. So um, it was hosted by uh, Students for Life, SLU Students for Life, uh, both the undergraduate and the med school program. Correct. Right? Or yeah. the, the group, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, so what was it like? I mean, how many people were there? I guess, first of all, I should ask how many, what was the, the crowd like? I'd say there were about 75 students there. Um, good mix of undergrad and med students, which I think for a Friday night was really good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's not, it's not bad. Yeah. We're doing that instead of yeah. other things that college students typically right. do. Right. So um, what was it like to be there? I mean, obviously, you know, here you are, you can share the story about, you know, okay, former abortion doctor, but like, being there is a different thing, and mm -hmm. hearing him give this mm -hmm. testimony must have been moving for you and maybe the students you talked to. Mm -hmm. Just describe a little bit about what that was like. Were there any emotions visible that you could see in the group? You know, there were a few things that really struck me. Um, the very first thing he did when he started his talk is um, he held up an instrument. It's called a cannula, I think is how you pronounce it. And it's a long, clear straw, it's bendable, and this is actually the instrument that is used to suction the remains of a first trimester baby from a mother's womb in an abortion. And so, you know, he held up this instrument to show this was what he used, you know, when he was doing this procedure. And he went on to talk about, you know, just kind of his gradual conversion process. Um, when he first started, um, doing the abortions, he considered himself an atheist, and by the time he came to the realization that what he was doing was wrong, um, he had really made a, a strong connection with God, and he had started attending a church, and I think um, that just kind of helped open his eyes. So the other thing that really um, struck me in all of this, um, he just, he has a very gentle um, demeanor, you know, and he, he seems like he would be a very, you know, kind and compassionate doctor. Um, and so, I, you know, I could see how, you know, the, the work that he was doing, he, he was trying to explain that he wanted to be a compassionate voice um, for women, you know, in their right to an abortion. Um, but I think he was finding over time he was becoming less compassionate of a person as he realized, you know, what he was doing was wrong. Yeah. So, wow. Yeah. Well, it says here, you know, in your story that, that he was at church. So obviously mm -hmm. he was a church going man, you know, would uh, do this on Sundays and, and worship, mm -hmm. but then was doing abortions during the week. Mm -hmm. um, and, it, you know, the, the, the headline of your story, maybe God is telling me abortion is wrong. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's gotta be, 
yeah. really powerful to, to change yeah. somebody's heart like that. And, and just another example of how the Lord works in mysterious ways, right? I mean, we don't right. know when God's grace is going to present itself. Right. You know, it's interesting. I think the defining moment for him as he was attending this Christian church, um, he said one day his pastor got up and talked about um, partial birth abortion. And that was a really, I mean, it still continues to be a huge topic, but um, it was very big in the early 2000s. And that was around the time he was, you know, kind of going through, you know, doing these abortions. And the pastor, you know, was describing the procedure and, you know, obviously talking about how wrong it is. Um, And I think that it finally dawned on him, like, I can't do this anymore. And so he was really kind of looking for a sign. And it just so happened in his bulletin for the church, um, they were seeking uh, help with a local pregnancy resource center. And so he called up and um, he ended up becoming their medical director so they could provide ultrasounds. They needed a medical staff, you know, person uh, to be able to provide the ultrasounds. So um, it actually... is very much, I think, a providential thing. That it, all that it always happens. is, really. Yeah, I mean, anytime right. there's a conversion story like this. Right. There's, um, you know, at the, at the end of the story here, you said, you know, your generation truly can reverse abortion, uh, is what the, what the doctor said. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hope together we can change the culture. Uh, talk about that, about really how important it is to change the culture. Because so often in the pro-life movement, we talk about the laws need to change. Mm-hmm. We're in an election year right now. Voting for pro-life candidates is important. Mm-hmm. But it really goes beyond that. Um, to changing hearts and minds. And really, it's important that he was speaking, that there's this pro-life group in the medical student, um, mm-hmm. uh, medical school at SLU. Talk about that a little bit, about the, the need to change culture and, and what you're seeing maybe. I, yeah, I think, you know, he touched on it a little bit toward the end about, you know, the need to change the culture. And I think, you know, he said, we tend to hear, um, you know, things in popular media about, you know, abortion that it just, it tends to water down like what is really happening, you know, so they call the, you know, call it a fetus instead of a baby and those sorts of things. Um, And he talked about a little bit about the language and how, you know, that helps contribute to this culture where we are supporting things like abortion, you know, really a culture of death, if you think about it. Um, And so he encouraged them really to be open to that and to consider, um, you know, to ask those questions of yourself. You know, he asked them, you know, as a college student, if you find yourself pregnant someday, what would you do if you had a friend, you know, who became pregnant and, you know, wasn't expecting this to happen? What would you do to help that friend? You know, and so he really just kind of asked those open-ended questions to get them to think a little bit about, you know, how that might personally affect them. Well, Jennifer, as I just mentioned a second ago, obviously it's election year. That's important. A lot of Catholics are trying to to discern how to vote. Um, One thing the Respect Life apostolate of the Archdiocese is doing is promoting um, some masses that parishes are hosting Mm -hmm. uh, on the eve of the election or or the week leading up to the election. Um, Do you have some information on that? A little bit of information. So my understanding is um, we actually just had an ad in this week's um, paper uh, about it, but there are a list of parishes that are going to be having masses on the eve of the election. So, um, you know, that's something to look out for. And it it looked like they're pretty widespread across, you know, in different places of the archdiocese to accommodate, you know, the different areas, um, deaneries. And so, um, yeah, so that's coming up. Okay. So more information and, and maybe next week's edition of the St. Louis Review, right. listing those masses and everything. Great. Yep. Um, now, we mentioned, uh, you know, this is the, this event that you went to on Friday with uh, uh, Dr. Wong. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that was hosted by the med school students for life and the undergraduate students for life. Mm -hmm. But there's also now at SLU the law school students for life. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you talk to us a little little bit about that and and maybe how they got started? I think there's an interesting story. Yeah, right. So it was interesting. I had a few people tell me um, at Dr. Wong's talk, a few SLU students mentioned that um, they're considering themselves like the only, I think, school or campus that has students for life presence on all four of their campuses and they consider that to be undergrad med students law students and then they consider st louis university high school a campus as well so they have a group as well um but what was interesting was yesterday the law students for life held their first official activity they hosted um clark forsyth of americans united for life and i'm going to be writing a story about that for next week's paper but they actually talked about how they formed this partly because um last year there was a um a group at st louis university their law school i think it's called like students for reproductive justice and they held a talk um it was a forum that included representatives from planned parenthood um and that actually was moved off campus um there was a little bit of controversy Mm, i I remember hearing about that a little bit right yeah yeah. so and so these law students for life um you know they said we need to do something to kind of counter you know this culture that we're dealing with here and so um the groups now formed and they just hosted a very i think successful first event they there were some notable folks that who attended that yesterday yeah um so. and you, you were there yesterday mm-hmm. at this event and that'll be in the, in the next week's uh paper correct right? yeah um what was that uh what was that event like uh, what, what did they talk about and yeah so um clark, don't, don't don't give away your whole story we'll give away the whole thing but yeah clark forsyth um he's uh principal with Americans United for Life and he's actually written a book about um, it's called the abuse of discretion and it's the inside story of Roe versus Wade the decision and so I won't give all the details you can read about it next week (laughs) but uh, um, he actually talked in detail about the Supreme Court justices who were in place at the time of the Roe decision um, and actually Doe versus Bolton as well Um, and what they were considering at the time when they got up to um, make that ruling in those two cases. So wow. it's very so, fascinating. So very a very um, appropriate talk for the, the audience he was presenting to. Mm-hmm. That's good. Well, also uh, at the end of this month or later this month is the annual Respect Life Convention hosted by the Archdiocese of St. Louis. It's mm-hmm. always a good, a good time, a very uplifting uh, convention and, and a good place to learn a lot about the pro-life movement. And uh, for, for information about that, if you want to go, it's stlrespectlife.org, stlrespectlife.org. And you can uh, see about getting tickets or attending. I think uh, I think really actually you can go to the whole thing uh, except for the luncheon for free. You need to buy a ticket to go to the luncheon, and uh, um, they might have some last-minute seats available for that. So check that out, stlrespectlife.org, and that's uh, Sunday, October 16th. That's going to be um, taking place out of the St. Charles Convention Center, and I hear one of the Sisters for Life is going to be coming in town to uh, give the keynote. So that should be a good a good experience. So. Um, make sure you check out the St. Louis Review for these stories from Jennifer Brinker. Um, this uh, current one um, on the uh, former abortion doctor having a conversion story is in the October uh, 10th through 16th edition. And, uh, and then the next week's edition will have the, the one about the law school students for life. So check that out in the St. Louis Review. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much for coming on the Catholic Gateway Podcast again. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate you having me. Until next time.
Usually at this point of the podcast, we hear from Stephen Kempf with the St. Louis Review to find out a little bit about what they're working on for this week and upcoming editions. But uh, Stephen's out of the office now, so I am going to bring you the quintessentials, the top five things you need to know from the St. Louis Review this week. You can find these at stlouisreview.com slash five things. That's stlouisreview.com slash five things. Number one this week, Old St. Ferdinand Shrine up in Florissant is in need of some repairs. It's the oldest Catholic church from the Louisiana Purchase Territory to remain standing, and uh, they are trying to raise $400,000 to tackle an extensive list of badly needed repairs. You can find more about that in the printed edition. Also, as we just heard from Jennifer, she wrote about Dr. Wong, who was a former abortionist and now is pro-life. So he spoke at SLU recently. We'll also, uh, you can also find a story from Dave Luking on how Beyond Sunday funds are helping parishes tackle some projects, capital improvements, and so forth, including uh, resurfaced playgrounds, new food pantries. And those are just some of the ways that Block One parishes are using the 40% they get back from the Beyond Sunday campaigns. Also, uh, you can read about an exhibit which portrays the real cost of unrelenting violence. This is from Joe Kenny. This display is on SLU's campus and features women who witnessed murder and torture of their loved ones during Columbia's long-running armed conflict. And lastly, Chaminade joins the ranks of Blue Ribbon Schools. Chaminade College Preparatory School ranks among the top schools in the St. Louis area. Global Reach Program and House System set it apart. And you can read more about that in this week's edition of the St. Louis Review. So check out these quintessentials at stlouisreview.com slash five things. That's stlouisreview.com slash five things. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Catholic Gateway Podcast. We always welcome story tips and ideas for the podcast. Just send them to communications at archstl.org. That's communications at archstl.org. Make sure to connect with us on social media to stay up to date with what's going on here in the Archdiocese of St. Louis. You can find us on Facebook. Just search for Archdiocese of St. Louis. We're on Twitter, at ArchSTL is our handle there, at ArchSTL. And we're on Instagram, at CatholicSTL. And you should follow the St. Louis Review. They're on Facebook, also Twitter and Instagram, under the handle, at St. Louis Review. That's S.T. Lewis Review. The Catholic Gateway Podcast is a production of the Archdiocese of St. Louis. I'm your host, Gabe Jones. We hope you'll join us again next time here in the Gateway to the West, the Rome of the West, Catholic St. Louis. Catholic St. Louis.